You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to The Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. As always, brought to you by DraftKings. You've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how payday can come every day by entering their contest with huge cash prizes up for grabs. This week is jam-packed with action ranging from basketball to golf, and DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to have a front-row seat to all the action. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night, and it's simple to do. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users across all sports. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there is no better place to get in on all of the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using the code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings, minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. My name is Connor Halley. I am the host of the Other Connor Podcast. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley. It's Connor, like Connor McDavid, C-O-N-N-O-R, last name H-A-L-L-E-Y, at Connor Halley. And I highly recommend you do so, because this week we will be doing a giveaway with one of the guests that we have coming up on this show. More on that later, but let's talk about those Edmonton Oilers. And as we sit here Friday, February 19th, the Edmonton Oilers currently sitting with a 10-8 and record on the season. Wednesday evening, they knocked off the Winnipeg Jets 3-2 to down at the Ice District. And Connor McDavid, the story on that night, he gets point number 500 in game 369. He'd also get point 501, but uh, the big marker coming on an assist. Jesse Pugliarvi with an absolute rocket of a finish. And Connor McDavid tying Sidney Crosby for the eighth fastest to get to point five hundred. Now the real question is, when does Connor McDavid get the second five hundred points? He's already one down, four ninety nine to go, and at the pace he's playing, uh, I have a guess it's going to come a lot faster than the first five hundred. Now Leon Drysaddle, he's at four hundred and fifty career points in his NHL career. He's got thirty eight games left in this season, so. Assuming he plays the rest of the games on the schedule, it's safe to say he's probably going to get to 500 in his career as well. So uh, some great stuff from two of the top young guns in the NHL right now. I thought Mike Smith bounced back with a better goaltending performance. Not to say that on Monday night it was all on him. There was some sloppy play in front of him, but... You know, he could have been better, could have made a few more saves. Uh, I like to see that Dave Tippett gave him the chance to go out there and rebound like he did and uh, making the coach look smart on that one. Now the Edmonton Oilers get set up for two games against the Calgary Flames, and it is amazing. That is exactly what I want to see this weekend. Uh, the Oilers obviously playing some of their better hockey. The Calgary Flames looking to rebound Friday night. The Oilers in Calgary. It's a 7 o'clock puck drop in that one. And then on Saturday night, 8 o'clock puck drop in Edmonton. Of course, if you are looking for some pregame coverage, TSN 1260 as he covered. Myself, Tom Gazzola, Matt Cassian, 6 o'clock on Friday. And then on Saturday night, it will be a 6.30 pregame show. That one going 90 minutes. But today on our program, lots of stuff to get to. We're going to bring in Quinn Phillips. She, of course, with Global Edmonton Sports Anchor. We'll talk to Quinn about the Oilers right now, how she thinks they're playing. And uh, she'll tell us a little bit about growing up in a very unique situation that she did. If you don't know, of course, her father is 
the legendary Rod Phillips, and she got a chance to grow up around the rink, so she'll share some stories about that. We'll also talk about the current edition of the Edmonton Oilers. As I mentioned at the start of the show, uh, we do have a bit of a giveaway here on the Other Connor podcast, and you do have to follow me on Twitter to win. We're going to be talking to Jeff McLean. He is one of the founding members of Pride Tape. Pride Tape does a lot of great work. If you don't know what they are, keep it locked here on the podcast. You will learn. You can also follow them on Twitter at Pride Tape. And like I said, we're going to be giving away some rolls of Pride Tape. And it's going to be very simple to win. We're going to be giving away five rolls of Pride Tape to three separate people and then one grand prize of a hat as well as five rolls of the Pride Tape. Very simple. Just go to my Twitter page. I'm going to pin that tweet to the top. All you have to do is quote that tweet and answer the question, what made you a hockey fan? And that's it. It's very simple for me. Family. My family got me into hockey. I had to watch it growing up as a kid. The Oilers were the team in town. That made me an Oilers fan, and that's how it started. That's all you have to do. Go to Twitter. Go to my Twitter page, at Connor Halley. Answer that question while quoting the tweet, and you're entered for a chance to win. So very simple there. Jeff McLean will be hopping on later to let us know how Pride Tape all got going. And we are going to be joined by Walking Gage, one of the best guys out there at storytelling, at Walking Gage 31 on Twitter. He's a former member of the Edmonton Oilers. He's also a part of the Two Guys in a Goalie podcast with Dustin Nielsen, Matt Cassian, and Hernan Salas. All that coming up later on in the show, but let's start it off with Quinn Phillips of Global Edmonton. You can give her a follow on Twitter at QJ Phillips. She's also a Ross Shepard alumni. Quinn, how are you doing? <laughs> right. I forget about that. I'm good, and I'm impressed you even looked up my Twitter handle. Well, you know, I, I've got to promote somehow. You guys come on the podcast for free. i got to, like, try to find some balance and, and make it worth it for some reason. So I do appreciate you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Quinn, I wanted to get you on the podcast here, obviously, to talk about the Edmonton Oilers. But uh, you grew up in a hockey household. Was covering sports in the Edmonton area always a goal for you? I would say so, yes. Um, obviously, for those who don't know, my dad is Rod Phillips, who was the longtime Oilers play-by-play voice. Uh, so I loved going to the rink with him. I was always at the rink. I grew up around Northlands, Rexall, Skyreach Center, all the different iterations of it. And I grew up with the media guys and always just kind of sitting with them at practice and listening to them banter and that kind of thing. And so it just was always just the energy and the people I wanted to be around. So I don't know if necessarily I was that like in love with the idea of being on TV or anything like that. It was just kind of being around the rink and being in that energy. So how envious were your classmates that you got to like hang around at Oilers games, probably get to know some of the players? Well, see, that's the funny thing because uh, I at Nate, typically the Oilers don't allow students to come to practice and do stories. It is the top league in the world, so there, there does have to be some standards and whatnot, right? But I was always allowed to bring a camera, and I even got hit by a puck. Uh, Mike Comrie shot it into the bench and hit me while I was shooting their practice when I was at Nate. Um, so, yeah, I definitely had an unfair advantage because I did kind of get to cover the Oilers even when I was at Nate. So, like, you just show up at practice and kind of hang out? Like, did you get to know, like, Gretzky or anything like that? Well, I mean, yeah, yes and no. Um, I was I was really young when obviously when those guys were around. Yeah. So I definitely have certain memories and like really good memories of some of them. Um, 
and my dad was really, really close with Wayne Gretzky, and it, it is still pretty close with him. Um, I just don't see him very often now, and I don't see him in the setting of being with my dad. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, as I got older, I definitely started to get to, the, to know the players a bit more, and 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 that kind of thing, and. Now, it's funny, a lot of them actually do kind of remember me as, as Rod's daughter, so that's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> Good little in there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about the current edition of the Oilers, and uh, one of the things that I've noticed today on social media is there's been a lot of Ryan Nugent Hopkins contract discussion. Ryan Rashog reporting yesterday, or I guess Wednesday, for those people listening on Friday, uh, that the contract talks have kind of broken off and there hasn't been much back and forth there. How do you think this whole situation plays out between the Oilers and Nugent Hopkins? I think that there's absolutely no doubt that they do get a deal done. Um, he wants to be here, so you know he's he's not going to get a significant raise. But I can't imagine he's looking for a significant raise. He raise he's he knows the market. He knows it's a flat cap. He wants to be here. Um, so I, I just don't see how a deal doesn't get done personally. Do so, you kind of feel the same way? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm with you too. Like I, it's just one of those guys. All that he's gone through, and now we're looking at the Oilers, and it kind of looks like they're starting to trend upwards and do things the right way. This would just be a weird time to leave. But uh, I, I am on the side that if you're, he wants a big payday or looking for that that final big contract, perhaps. Don't know if I want to go that way. Like, if he's similar to what he's making right now, I'm all for it. But I think that you got to be a little bit cautious there because if he wants too much, you know, maybe that money could go elsewhere. Well, I just, I don't see how he could really, like, you know, you've got Leon making eight and a half. So where where <laughs> does Nuge fit in? He fits in at that six, right? So it's just hard to believe that they could give him a whole lot more. Or he could expect it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you 100% there. Uh, last night, or, jeez, I keep saying the days, Wednesday evening, Connor McDavid are reaching 500 points in only 369 games. I mean, obviously, the expectations were high for this kid when he was drafted first overall and all the hype surrounding him. But did you think he would make it to 500 points that fast? Um, I feel like he, yes. <laughs> to be really honest, um, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's so good. He doesn't go more than three games without scoring a point. And I just think, you know, had he not been injured and he could have just kept developing, like those injuries, you know, took a lot away, I mean, from his rookie season. Imagine how much more he would have developed even in his rookie season. I mean, it could have even been quicker, in my opinion. <laughs> You're like, well, why did it take so long, man? Yeah, like, like this is embarrassing. <laughs> so how many before yeah. he gets his next 500 then? Uh, oh, wow. That's a really great question. Um, 300. 300. He's going to go less. Oh, okay. Is that an absurd guess? No, it's not. And that's the crazy thing about how good he is. Like, I, I think the staff for Wayne Gretzky was like 250 or something. Like, just an absurd... Uh, certainly low amount of games for him to get to that 500 point mark, but for Connor McDavid, this season, I mean, just how good he's been, I don't think that's, I don't think that's absurd at all. And then another guy, Leon Dreisaitl, he's at 450 in his career, in 440 career games, 38 games left in the season. Can he score 50 more points, Quinn? I, I have actually probably no doubt that he can. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, obviously, they're, they're the guys that are just so important, and you know that that power play needs a touch more consistency right now. But um, it, yeah, I, I have no doubt. He just gets played in so many situations too, right? So, 
has he, you know, obviously Connor McDavid's going to be getting a lot of the credit for this team, deservedly so, a lot of the success that they have. But just how important do you think Leon Draisaitl is just being that that other guy who can contribute at a, almost an equal clip as Connor McDavid? Yeah, or even more, right? Yeah. Um, he... He's so vital, and I like you know people. You hear people talk about it all the time, like that maybe they can't coexist. Um, but I just think about like Sid and Malkin, right? He, I think he's embraced the fact that he's not Connor McDavid. He's going to put up those numbers, but he's not going to be, you know, in the same conversation as that, like as as Connor McDavid is. But Connor McDavid is on his own in that conversation, right? So. Um, I think personally he's embraced that. I think that he really loves Edmonton as well. So, I mean, he would want to stay here. He wants to to be in secondary in the conversation with, with Connor McDavid. Um, and obviously, like, just that one-two punch is just absolutely ridiculous. I, you know, and, and if they can both start playing really well defensively, then they're going to be even scarier. Yeah, and that's what I do like about Leon Draisaitl. I mean, just the guy does not settle. Like, we talked about it, you know, after his first year, could probably work on the skating. He comes back and his skating's improved so much. Uh, he's talked about it this year, how now he wants to improve the defensive side of the game, and I think we've seen it. Uh, he, he's just at a different player than Connor McDavid. Like, yeah, you get the speed with McDavid, and then Leon Draisaitl comes out there, and, and he's going to dictate the pace. It's not going to be quick, as quick down the ice or anything, but, you know, just his ability to hang on to the puck, kind of control the play. That's one of the things that I like to see from his game. Oh, his puck, puck protection is absolutely unbelievable. And, you know, we talk at, like, you talk about just where he wants to improve. I mean, it's a blessing and a curse because he can also be very hard on himself. But that said, I mean, he comes back better every year. And he just, he, he just, he looks so much bigger all the time on the ice and just stronger. And, yeah. I I really like Leon Dreisaitl. He's one of my favorite players. So as of late for this team, obviously they didn't get off to the great start that they would have wanted to, but do you think they've turned the corner and, you know, the team we've seen as of late, the wins in Montreal, the win against uh, Winnipeg on Wednesday night, do you think that's more of the team you can expect to see going forward? Yes, and I really hope so. I hope that we get to see that consistency. Um because that's obviously just one thing, and, and I think Withers fans across the board could like admit that they're incredibly jaded, that you don't trust the team to play consistently, like whether it's within the game or it's it's during a stretch, right? You know, last night I can't imagine how, or sorry, Wednesday night, I can't imagine how Oilers fans were feeling in that last 40 seconds because, you know, how many leads have they given up? you know, over the years, right? So, um, but Wednesday night's win was a massive step forward. They found a way to win. They just got to keep finding ways to win um, and keep that consistent. But Dave Tippett is really drilling that home, and he's kind of been relentless with that and very almost impatient with it this season. So, yeah, I, hopefully it's drilled into them and, and they can keep playing that way because that's how they obviously have to play. On the topic of Dave Tippett, what what have you thought about his coaching, just balancing the taxi squad, you know, trying to get guys in and out, but also keeping the team competitive? It is such a unique thing. And I, I don't know, every coach is kind of learning as they go how to handle this, right? I knew from the beginning it would be really good because now you've got this like competitive taxi squad that is pushing guys every single night. 
Like you can't have an off night because one guy can come in and replace you very easily or two guys can come in and replace you, right? Um, I personally haven't had any problems with how he's handled the taxi squad because, again, like he's had guys come in and they've played better. Jujar Kara is a great example of that, right? Um, sits for a while and, and realizes that he has to be better every single night. Um, it, I just think it's it's just so new that all coaches are kind of just kind of figuring out what is the right way to do it. Yeah, and it, it's been fun to watch the guys that go through that waiver process, end up on the taxi squad, and then, you know, no one claims you, so you're, you're sticking around with that team. You get that second shot, and you mentioned Jujar Kara. Uh, I thought Tyler Ennis was another guy who, yeah. who went through it and, and bounced back. You kind of get that motivation you need. It's, it's been a really unique season in that aspect, which has been fun to watch. Uh, just looking on the defensive side, uh, when is the last time the Edmonton Oilers have, you know, been able to have this type of depth at a position like it, it's so f- interesting to see because you know usually we we want to see someone go in to try to spark the group but with the the lineup they've been able to ice this season like it hasn't really been necessary they've got good play like and and guys are pushing to get into the lineup i know and and you like even you know missing ethan bear um it, it hasn't been a huge problem it, it's kind of funny like i think slater cuckoo was like such a good addition right because he's just kind of you're, I don't know, he's just played well. He plays kind of a simple game and, and moves the puck pretty well. And that's kind of been the guy that kind of, in my opinion, has kind of like filled some of the pieces that you've needed when guys are missing or out or, or anything like that. I mean, obviously, Oscar Clefbaum is irreplaceable. And in, at the beginning of the season, I was really worried because it didn't look like they were you know, going to be able to replace him even by committee. But everybody, I mean, Tyson Berry's settled in for sure. He's He's been a very different player from, you know, the first five or six games. Um, and, and Darnell Nurse has, has kind of improved his game. He was uh, he was a little leaky <laughs> at the beginning of the season, but I think that he's he started to play better the more minutes he gets. Uh, and, and obviously his offensive... Um, output has been a nice surprise yeah he went through that stretch there where like there, he could do no wrong uh, just throw it on net good things were happening someone who does that quite a bit as well young player evan bouchard what have you thought of his play uh, in his start of his young career i've absolutely loved him and i have to say over the summer when philip broberg was here for training camp ahead of the bubble i actually was like a little concerned for evan i i was wondering if maybe philip would kind of move ahead of him because he just looked so good at that training camp um but he has stepped in and you know i think obviously playing overseas and certainly helped and of course the ahl but um i've really liked him so far and and i don't know how you take him out of the lineup at this point so um he's just going to continue to develop and and that's like really good to see because obviously you want these young guys coming up you know i'm excited to see what broberg can do behind him and you know caleb jones now has really got a push he's 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 falling on the, the the depth chart in terms of the prospects yeah, I mean, I, I look at him, and he's a guy who in his past has kind of battled adversity and fought through it, and it come out stronger on the other side. So something that, you know, I, I think is kind of good for him. And you mentioned Philip Broberg, like, the defenseman that the Oilers drafted and have kind of been patient with, like, it, it's going to be paying off in a few years because they might have one of the top blue lines in the league. Which is so weird to hear <laughs> because it's been so long. 
you know, so I mean, that's a, that's an exciting prospect for sure for Oilers fans. Um, and it's been nice in that, that they've been able to be patient with these guys. So I guess, you know, we kind of rip on Peter Chiarelli, but he did draft Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones later in the round. So those guys are paying off. But with Ken Holland, how, how much do you think just maybe the mindset changed going into it? Like, we're not going to rush these guys. The patience, you know, they'll, they'll play in the AHL a couple of years if they have to and let them be maybe even over ready, if, if, if that's fair. Yeah, overripe, and he he says that all the time too. Um, I think that the mindset has you know probably even like like changed a ton even for the players. Um, they don't come in wondering if they can maybe make this team. Like it's come in and learn and and grow and and expect to go down to the AHL, which I think is probably a pretty like a very different mindset for these young guys. Um, and, I mean, just, yeah, throughout the organization. But, again, it just comes down to, like, they, they can be patient with these guys now. I just think in the past, like, some of the players that they've had to bring in and, like, that, that were not ready, but they had really nowhere else to turn. It's funny that, you know, we, we obviously you've covered the team for a while. You've been around for a long time. And we're always used to these first-round picks, like, yeah, maybe they'll bust into the league at 19 or 20 and for a little while there that, that kind of quieted and then as of late I've heard a lot of people saying well maybe Dylan Holloway is ready to make that jump from Wisconsin to the NHL how do you think his trajectory looks like do you automatically say nope you're going to Bakersfield next year if he chooses to leave Wisconsin or do you think there's that chance that he could jump to the NHL I mean, yeah, there's there's definitely always that chance, and, and those NCAA guys are obviously, you know, stronger, more mature than, than the kids coming out of junior. Um, but I don't know if you need him to rush that much, right? Um, I guess if he comes in and, and he's lights out, then gives you an excuse not to, but... Um, I, I don't I don't see the point in, in kind of forcing him in or or I mean unless he comes in and has like insane chemistry with one line mm-hmm. like I mean, that's very different right so it's it's almost kind of like Kyler Yamamoto came in and like played with Leon Dreisaitl and was so good with him exactly exactly I mean I, I guess you don't want to say no you have no chance to make this team but it's got to be a good fit. It's got to work out, and he's got to prove that he's ready. Uh, Quinn, I really appreciate you doing this. A couple more questions for you. Are you Team Smith or Team Koskinen? <laughs> uh, you know what? I have to say I am I am Team Smith. Mm-hmm. He's He's been playing really well. Um, I think that the Oilers need that fire. Um, and he's he's just very fiery. They need that energy. They need that almost like anger if something bad happens. They need, you know, that's 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 where I'm at with him. <laughs> and my last question for you: How have you liked the North Division? Are you sick of seeing these matchups against the Sens yeah. and Jets, or do you like it? No, I I love it. It is. I, I just love it. It's. I find it so weird because I I. I'm paying such close attention to the Canadian teams that I normally wouldn't pay so much attention to, and I, I, I don't know as much as what's going on in the states. You know, it's it's so funny. It's so different because normally it's like, oh man, Vegas won last night. Okay, the Oilers have got to win tonight, and I'm like, I don't. Vegas could be on a seven-game losing streak. I don't know. <laughs>
It's true. It's true. I've I've looked at some uh, like betting, and I'm like, I don't know if the Kings are good or not. I I'm really uncomfortable putting money on any of these teams. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not really sure what's going to happen in that division. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's it's cool, and I just. I really like kind of the mini series aspect as well. I just think it's it's there's just so many reasons outside of hockey that it's good. I mean, it's good for you know the travel for the guys. They get a you know they're not hopping on a plane right after a game and like <laughs> I hate to say it, but like environmentally too. Well, I don't hate to say it environmentally as well. You know, when when teams aren't flying every single night, it's it's obviously better and and probably less expensive firing up that jet every single night. <laughs> That's the uh, the first environment reference we've had on the podcast. So Quinn, well, thank you for that. I, yeah, I mean, I'm proud to to say that. <laughs> hey, you know, you're not wrong. Like that is a good benefit from this, and and you know, the, their bodies is good too. Keeps them uh, less traveling. I, I lied. I got to ask you about the Battle of Alberta this weekend. Two games against the Calgary Flames. Do you think we get some of the rough stuff even without Cassian in the lineup? Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, because. Kachuk will be there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're going to get the rough stuff, and I just hope the Oilers' record against the Flames has just not been great. So this uh, this is going to be a big tell for me this weekend. Absolutely. It's going to be a big one. Uh, Quinn, thanks so much for doing this today, and hopefully we can get you on again down the road. Anytime we can talk environment. All right. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll get some real questions, the hard-hitting stuff for you. <laughs> Excellent stuff from Quinn Phillips of Global Edmonton, talking about those Edmonton Oilers and her unique childhood. Her dad, of course, the legendary Rod Phillips, called a lot of games for the Edmonton Oilers, saw a lot of things. So uh, we appreciate Quinn hopping on the podcast. Right now, let's bring in Jeff McLean. He is one of the founders of Pride Tape. You can check them out online, pridetape.com, on Twitter, on Instagram, both at Pride Tape. Jeff, thanks a lot for coming on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Connor. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very good, and I really do appreciate you hopping on the podcast to talk about uh, just such a real great company and, and a way to really just promote awareness about something that we shouldn't have to, but unfortunately we still do. So I guess first things first, let's just talk about the brand Pride Tape, and how did it all start? Well, Pride Tape actually started about uh, maybe a year, year and a half uh, before the, the idea came to light, uh, working with Calder Bateman Communications in Edmonton on a project uh, with our friend and, and co-founder, Dr. Wells, uh, who was with the University of Alberta Institute for Sexual Minority Studies and Services. A uh, friend and colleague of mine at Calder Bateman, uh, Pierre Chan, came up with a brilliant idea called NoHomophobes.com, which... Uh, was scraping homophobic, hurtful language in real time off Twitter. Uh, and we were able to create a microsite for that, which still exists, nohomophobes.com, where you can see the hurtful language and, and just how it affects uh, people out in society as a way to help curb that, uh, that issue. And then what happened with the development of that site is that we noticed that homophobic language was spiking during major, major sporting events. For example, the Super Bowl, uh, was was the largest uh, one day, um, you know, for for quantity of, of homophobic, hurtful language, and and also the the NBA and NHL playoffs. So we said, you know, we we definitely need to do something around homophobic language and and the hurtful nature of it, um, you know, in and around sports. And and because we are based in Edmonton, we felt that uh, the NHL and and hockey would be a good place to start for for a number of reasons. One, that there was no uh, current out player uh, in hockey, the last sport to to have that claim, 
and also that we had some friends, uh, not only with with the Oilers and, and Tim Shipton, but but also uh, Chris's friendship and connection to Andrew Ferentz, uh who was captain of the Oilers at the time, and and also my personal uh, friendship growing up with uh, Bill Ranford, former Oiler, uh, and now with the LA Kings. So we were able to. Uh, you know, ask for some assistance uh, just to get the culture of the, the the locker room, the dressing room from from Bill and Andrew about this idea uh, of potentially creating this multicolored rainbow hockey tape. So, so that was really the start of of the process. We are looking for a badge of support that we could create from the hockey world to the LGBTQ community that says, you know, everyone should be able to play. The sport that they love and we wanted to have that symbol you know that maybe the hockey players could adopt and uh, show everyone that they're welcome you know in in the space and that sports and hockey in particular is, is a safe space so so that was really uh, the start of it all and we needed to create a Kickstarter uh, campaign to raise the money to print the first 10,000 rolls once we we found out that uh, you know we needed to, to to buy that many rolls and and really it was the Kickstarter campaign uh, created at Calder Bateman where it really shone a light on on the issue and this exciting new product that people could could make you know bring to life so that's that's really where it all started. So you guys just celebrated your fifth year anniversary so obviously things are going well but how was the reception at first? Uh, it was, to be honest, Connor. It was it was tough. Uh, even myself, from managing the the social media, um, like no homophobes. Uh, initially, there was a, a lot of hateful and hurtful comments uh, throughout social media, particularly on Twitter, uh, which I think people can, uh, can can understand and familiarize themselves with it about you know how caustic it can get. So. You know, it was tough, but uh, thankfully, you know, the people that supported us, uh, we've created a, a fantastic, uh, strong group of, of friends around the world that believe in what uh, Pride Tape says and, and the messages it shares about uh, inclusion, equality, and diversity. And uh, over time, over the course of the five years, we've actually literally seen a, a really strong turnaround on support. You know, just last week, you know, somebody was was making uh, you know a hurtful, hateful comment on social, and and what happened was is a bunch of people uh, came to the defense of, of Pride Tape, and and uh, which was probably the complete opposite of how it started. I would say that the it was a disproportionate amount of, of hurtful and hateful language at the beginning, and 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 over time, uh, you know, the, because of the support from everyone around the world, that has that has really changed. And one guy who's really gone and been very vocal about it, current NHL or Curtis Gabriel playing with the San Jose Sharks. He spent time with the Minnesota Wild and New Jersey Devils. I mean, to have a guy in that position to, to really use his voice well and, and represent a company like yours and support it, how big is that for you guys? It's huge. It's everything. Curtis, uh, you know, he's been not only a huge ally, but he's become a great friend. Uh, I met Curtis in Vancouver uh, when I traveled out there to... Uh, invited by the Vancouver Canucks to be part of their their Pride Night. This was, I think, a couple of years ago now, um, and and he happened to be in Edmonton the night before, where he fought uh, Milan Lucic, his hero, and uh, and and I wished I'd been to that game, but had to be in Vancouver. So I actually reached out to Curtis on social 
um, because he had already scored that 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 goal against the Montreal Canadiens uh, during the uh, Jer- New Jersey Devils Pride Night, where he had the tape on it. He left the tape on the knob of the stick and scored that winning goal against Carey Price. And then you know he, he said his social media blew up. So so I said you know I just love the opportunity to meet with him sometime. So turns out uh, fortuitously that I was in Vancouver. Uh, for the Canucks Pride game, and he got in there the day before because the Devils were playing the next night, and I sent him a, a text uh, or a, a message on on social, and said you know said who I was and and uh, one of the one of the people responsible for the tape and could I meet him and he said uh, you know I'm staying at this hotel and I'll be in the lobby in ten minutes and I was staying right on the same street so popped over met him in person we talked about probably an hour and a half about our you know our families and the role of the tape, and I just wanted to share with him some of the stories that, that we heard through correspondence, through our social media, just how it's impacted people's lives, because I wanted to know, you know, what he was doing was making a real difference uh, out there, and he, he really appreciated that, and ever since, we've we've become good friends, and, and last year, uh, uh, Dean and myself, uh, both members of the Pride Tape team, we went to Lehigh Valley uh, when Curtis was with the uh, Flyers affiliate, uh, the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, and we went for their Pride Night, we traveled down to Pennsylvania, and it was amazing. You know, meeting some of the fans and and uh, the team members, et cetera, and then going out with Curtis uh, after after the game and just talking collectively about what we can do to to, to make this stronger and and more important. So. Uh, incredible ally, incredible friend, and, and he's just making a huge difference out there, and, and we're very grateful. And now for you, for someone who's been there from the start, I mean, he's one player, but we've also seen media members like Tara Sloan and Ron McLean. We've seen Seth Jones. How cool is it to see something that you guys thought up make its way to the masses? Well, Connor, i gotta, I got to tell you honestly, like it, it's still very, very surreal. Like uh when bill uh who's with the kings he invited us down for their for their pride night and and unbeknownst to me he had told the players that you know his friend growing up had had created this and you know what was happening with the nhl teams uh using the tape for warm-ups is that it, it you know it wasn't mandatory it was whoever wanted to use it use it so it would be you know somewhat sporadic and and uh, not necessarily every every player on the team using it for warm up. But uh, when Bill told uh, you know the team that uh, that he was connected to somebody uh, involved with uh, the tape, uh, every single one of the players of the LA Kings had it on their stick for warm up. And I was standing right in the corner, you know, trying to get pictures on my on my <laughs> phone as the guys were cycling down, you know, into the corner, uh, shooting on the net. And I was standing right beside Will Ferrell you know, taking pictures of this colorful tape on, on these, you know, some of my heroes on their sticks. And I was going like, I, I can't believe that this is happening right now. So it, it, it's, it's been, uh, it's been pretty incredible, but it, it's really all in thanks to, you know, the, the people out there that have supported not only the Kickstarter, but ever since over the five years bought the tape. Um, the, you know, we always say we just make tape, you make it powerful. And, it, and it's really been all of those folks. Tara Sloan has been incredibly supportive over the five years. We, we Chris and I uh, got to meet her during a, a hometown hockey event in Edmonton five years ago, and, and ever since she's been incredibly supportive. And then she set it up where I got to meet Ron down in, in Red Deer, and uh, we both got kind of choked up talking to each other 
quietly about you know how the tape started and what it's done and and then this past weekend on saturday uh for scotia bank uh, hockey day in canada he had it on his stick for for most of the broadcast and you know i kept freeze framing my tv and trying to get pictures to post and again it, it, it's almost some days it, it's still very unbelievable yeah and I, I just love the campaign so much because obviously it does such great work but it's so simple these guys you know they they use tape every day. They throw a little on their stick, and immediately it catches your eye, and you're thinking, well, what is that? And you research it. And it's it's just been such a good campaign, creating so much awareness and, and doing such great work. And you guys have gone global now, hey? Yeah, uh, thank you, uh, Connor. Like, the, the genesis of, of the tape on the stick, and i, I got to be honest with you, we... <laughs> You know, we weren't smart enough probably to think of, of how strong an impact somebody just taping up their stick would be. Um, but what we did do is go down the inventory of, of hockey equipment, you know, with this badge of support. We, you know, obviously the helmet decals have been done. They're still doing them, you know, whether it's armbands or or name bars or, or colors on, on number sets, et cetera. Like it's all been done before. And it's also usually uh, team enforced or league enforced. You know, where everybody's doing it collectively. And what we wanted to do was have something that was very individual, that something that, that that player could do on their own. And so when you go down the inventory of hockey equipment, you really thought, okay, well, the tape makes perfect sense because it's, it's, it's somebody actually physically unfurling that, you know, tape roll to make that rainbow on the stick blade. And there was one video in particular when we started out uh, I think it was uh, the New York, when Kevin Hayes was with the New York Rangers, he was in the dressing room by himself, quietly wrapping his, his stick with pride tape, and we were just going, wow, that, that's, you could just, that's all you could hear was the tape stretching out over the blade, and it was, you know, a low-lit room, and it was just really, really powerful. And, you know, without the NHL and their support, and certainly the Edmonton Oilers who, who put us over the top, and Brian Burke and his family for the, to, to, to reach our Kickstarter goal, uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't exist if it wasn't if it wasn't for the NHL. So the NHL, to to your point or question about you know how far we've gone, uh, the NHL put us in contact with minor league baseball out of Florida, and we created a strikeout hate campaign using Pride Tape, and it became the largest uh, Pride campaign in sports history. And this was a couple of years ago. And if it were not for COVID, they were all slated to do it again last year. And then, and then COVID uh, two weeks later, uh, unfortunately, shut their league down. But still, over 70 teams went ahead uh, with their Pride campaign using Pride tape anyway on social media. And now, uh, recently, uh, we distributing our tape in New Zealand, which sold out in a couple of days. So we we're sending more tape over to New Zealand, Australia as well through their pro leagues and, and other individuals that run all their arenas have uh, adopted Pride Tape, and, and uh, also Baseball Softball UK uh, is bringing the tape in as well, and, and, and also you know hockey leagues uh, across the world, and also uh, the Premier Lacrosse League and the National Lacrosse League out of the U.S. have been incredibly supportive using Pride Tape over the last number of years as well. So this one might be a tough question for you to answer, but like we talked about, it's been five years since the company uh, first started. From what you've seen, what has the impact been on the LGBTQ community? Well, we, we, I mean, not, not so difficult to answer because we receive correspondence all the time uh, from, you know, members of the LGBTQ community um, 
and, and, and the impact that tape has made on their lives, whether they have not dropped out of hockey or sports because of it, or in some cases how some individuals have come back uh, to playing. Oh, there's a great story. We are featured in uh, uh, Bob McKenzie's latest book, uh, Everyday Hockey Heroes, Volume 2. There's the Pride Tape story in there about when we went down to meet Curtis uh, in uh, Lehigh Valley, but there's also a, a great story in there uh, about uh, J.J. Gale out of Seattle, an individual that saw the tape and, and made him want to, to come back and, and play hockey uh, when at one point he wasn't feeling it was a, a safe space. So stories like that we, we hear all the time. We hear from a lot of parents uh, with kids that are you know, thinking about maybe, you know, coming to terms with their, their own sexuality, thinking maybe the locker room environment isn't safe for them, uh, wanting to quit, um, but then seeing the tape on, on the sticks of others. Uh, in some cases, teammates have found out about, you know, how some people don't aren't, aren't feeling comfortable or feeling safe, that they will request the tape, put it all on their sticks to show their teammate that they're, they're very welcome uh, in the sport and on the team, so it, it's kept it's kept young people uh, playing uh, with their teammates, and it's also helped uh, certain players find teams uh, that are welcoming uh, for them to play. As this again, this badge of support that 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 says how you feel without even having to say words. That is awesome. That's got to be the most rewarding part, I would assume. Absolutely. I mean, I there, there's ways that we could talk, or I could certainly talk for hours on this. But the, you know, there was a dad, uh, hockey dad in the states that reached out and and said, you know, um, you know, when we told the other parents and the other kids uh, that that my daughter was gay, they they didn't they didn't want her on the team anymore because it was a traveling team and didn't want her in the swimming pool when the kids played in the pool at the hotel on the road and stuff like that. And I, you know dad was heartbroken and rightfully so and and so were we and he asked you know you know what can he do and and anyway the uh the tape provided a a vehicle for awareness and 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 friendships created with other teams and and she was accepted with open arms on another team and and she got to stay playing hockey and when she wanted to quit and, you know, that's really what it's been about since we started talking to Andrew Ference at the beginning is about how can we keep more young kids in sports. And, and that's the NHL's goal as well. I mean, we want to grow the game and grow sports and because we feel it's great character development for anybody of all ages. So uh, that was our, our goal was, is, is how can we keep uh, kids enjoying, loving and, and playing sports. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for doing this today. And uh, you guys have a, a great website up at pridetape.com. You go to shop. There's a bunch of awesome stuff you can buy. And uh, you've offered up a little bit of a giveaway here to our listeners here. We'll do that over social media, a shirt and a couple rolls of tape. I really appreciate that. Uh, it's good-looking stuff. I, I think a lot of people are going to want this. Thanks. I, I hope so, too, because it is it is making a, a big difference out there with folks. And like we said, we just... We just make tape. You make it powerful, Connor, so uh, the listeners do as well. So we appreciate uh, your help in amplifying these important messages. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast here today, and uh, hopefully we can get you back on soon, talk about uh, the growth of the company and maybe the 10-year anniversary. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime. Great stuff from Jeff McLean, one of the founders of Pride Tape, and uh, we really do appreciate Jeff coming on the show today. The contest, as I mentioned earlier on, we are going to give away five rolls of Pride Tape to three lucky winners, plus 
Another winner is going to get a hat plus those five rolls of the pride tape. Uh, it looks great. It's functional. You want to win this. So all you have to do, head over to my Twitter page, at Connor Halley. Check out my pinned tweet. Quote that tweet and answer the question, how did you get into hockey? What made you a hockey fan? Very simple. You do that and you'll have a chance to win those five rolls of the Pride Tape. Check them out online, pridetape.com and on social media at Pride Tape. That's Twitter and Instagram. Right now, let's bring on a member of the Edmonton Oilers alumni, Joaquin Gage, who was a draft pick by the team back in 1992. He had two separate stints with the oil. You can also catch him on Two Guys and a Goalie, the podcast with Dustin Nielsen, Matt Cassian, and Hernan Salas. You can give him a follow on Twitter at WalkingGage31. Joaquin, thanks so much for doing this today. How are you doing? Good, Connor. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? I'm doing very good, and I, I appreciate you making some time for us here. And uh, what we like to do here on the other Connor podcast with some of the alumni is just kind of talk about getting to the NHL, of course, and time with the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, you played with the team in the 90s and then into the year 2000 as well. But uh, let's go back to the early days. Was it always hockey for you, and were you always a goalie? Um, I was. Well, I guess I was a player for a little bit. But I hated leaving the ice, so <laughs> I guess the the best way for me to stay on the whole the whole game was to become a goalie. <laughs> <laughs> Good way to do it. Good strategy. And then, of course, you ended up playing for the Portland Winterhawks in the WHL. Uh, how did you end up in Portland? How was the time there? Oh gosh, this is a long story. But um, I went to the Athol Murray College of Notre Dame for. Well, essentially, you were, back then you went there either because you were sent by a judge or to play hockey, and the jury's still out on why I was there. But anyways, um, coming from B.C., like I, I played hockey, minor line, minor hockey in the lower mainland, and so it was it was getting a little bit more difficult for um, to do schooling and hockey at the same time. So I, I went out to Notre Dame, and I had two really good years there, my bantam years. But then, of course, I, I got cut my midget AAA year, my first my first year in midget, and I got all poopy pants. And and, and the uh, chancellor of the school actually told me that I would never make a dime playing hockey and to concentrate on football because we played I played football too. So, but um, me and a friend of mine we. He called the Medicine Hat Tigers. I called the Camelot's Blazers, and for a tryout. And so I finished my school year there. I didn't go back. I, long story short, I went to Camelot's. I, they cut me. Uh, I, I managed to stay on their list. I bounced around the BC Junior League, finally finding a spot for the Bellingham Ice Hawks. And in my first game against the Nanaimo Clippers, I. I, I, like we won like three one, and I stopped like fifty shots. And Portland Winterhawks were playing the Victoria Cougars the next night. And um, Ken Hodge, the coach at the time, saw me play, and the next day they traded for me from Kamloops. And then the next year, I, I was in I was in Portland, got drafted by the Oilers, and my pro career got kicked off in a couple years after that. So at what point were you thinking like, hey, I could actually make a, a career out of this and the NHL is a possibility? Um, not until uh, probably halfway through my Portland Winterhawk career. Like my, I was quite sheltered as a hockey player. I, I didn't really... I thought about the NHL, but I didn't know how 
how how to get there really if that makes any sense and um i i wanted to i said i always told myself i would i would play in the nhl but i didn't really understand how and then when i got to portland and all of a sudden i was around a lot of other young kids my age talking about the draft and and uh getting and going going to pro tryouts and things like that's when i realized oh i'm i'm getting close here and probably then is when i realized that i have a i have a really good shot at it but um yeah those that first camp in camps when it's a it's a weird feeling when you go into a dressing room especially i was 17 at the time and a and a few players come in with nhl um hockey bags like there was a king's bag or yeah, a st louis bag because guys were getting ready to go to camps and i was like geez this is uh <laughs> this is serious now <laughs> so um it was a it, it was a cool realization that all that work and stuff that i've worked so hard to become uh i was getting uh i was one step closer so, you know, you're drafted in the fifth round back in 1992, 109th overall by the Edmonton Oilers. But leading up to the draft, like, like what did you go through? Were you having meetings with NHL teams? Were there phone calls? Like, how did that whole process go down? Yeah, there was, there was phone calls. I remember um, I actually had to go to the, because I grew up in Vancouver, the, I had to go to the Hotel Vancouver and the Washington Capitals. I, I couldn't tell you who the scout was, but I went to the fancy uh, fancy hotel and he, I had to do like a SAT test. Like I was in there for like two hours doing like multiple choice. Just and I was like, gosh, this is awful. I don't want to go to this team. <laughs> this is what it's gonna be like. And uh, I almost had a is it is it Jim Craig moment from. Uh, the movie Miracle, where I was like, well, how is this going to show that I stopped pucks or not? Like, I, I just didn't, uh, I don't think I even finished the test. I was I was fed up, and I just wanted to leave. And I said, yeah, I'm done. And I left. Obviously, they didn't draft me. <laughs> <laughs> how about the Edmonton Oilers? Was there anything like that? Similar phone calls, uh, meeting them downtown for any uh, hotel visits? They didn't meet me, but they phoned a few times. And so that's when I knew... Hmm, they might be they might be a little bit more interested than most. It was a weird year because I was rated in the third round, but that was the first year that all the Russians went. And so that first round in the Montreal Forum in the middle of summer, if you can imagine, not a, no air conditioning, um, the first round took three and a half hours. So because everyone was scrambling to find out who who this guy was, was he available, what was he like? So it was exciting. Um, but um, we all got pushed back a little bit, and uh, let's say this just it was it was a sweaty forum that day. <laughs> <laughs> you went down there for the draft, then? Oh yeah, um, I didn't want to go. I, I I always heard Don Cherry, if you're not rated in the first round, don't go. Um, and uh, I was scared to sit there for. Uh, there was only one day of the draft, not two like there is now. So you would have had to sat sit there for 12 rounds i think it was 12 rounds back then and um i was i was really scared and it's funny with my name and going to school my whole life i i knew when the teacher would the first that first day of school when they got to my name because they could never pronounce it right <laughs> so and, and not that there was a lot of russian names that were that were massacred by by gms that day too but um the Oilers got up there, and they they said from the Portland Winterhawks, so I kind of 
kind of new. Or maybe they just said Western Hockey League. And they, they said Western Hockey League and goalie, I yeah. think. And and then uh, they stumbled with the name, and I knew it was me right away. <laughs> when you get drafted by an NHL franchise, who's the first conversation with? Um, I get well, Slats was there. So, yeah, I walked down to the table. They, you know, they've got a bunch of jerseys with Velcro with name bars and slap my name on one of them. And, and you go around the table and, and, uh, I had talked to Previn, Kevin Prendergast before. <clears throat> so I knew him and then, and then, uh, I got to, got to Glenn, shook his hand. Not a lot of talking really they, they, we had kind of a little party afterwards for all the draft picks. So, I mean, that was a pretty good draft. Um, uh, the guy didn't play much, but a really good hockey player. I played with him a lot. Joe Holbig was the first rounder that year. Um, Kurt Maltby, of course, probably everyone remembers. Uh, Ralph Intranuvo. So there were some really good players that I played with. Um, only one of us won a few Stanley Cups, but um, really good, talented players. But at that party, it was funny because Slats was kind of sitting in a we were in some sort of banquet room, and he was in a chair, like right in the middle of the of the room. <laughs> like, and I went over to say hi to him, and he was he had a cigar in his mouth, and he goes, "So you're a goalie?" And I go, "Yeah." I go, "So you think you're going to take Billy's job?" And uh, Bill Ransford at the time, I go, "Yep." And he goes, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I think to this day, that guy, he's still got a way with words. So uh, I'm looking here, you spent a couple more years in the WHL. Uh, you go to PA for a year, play 53 games there. And uh, then the next year, you would make your NHL debut, but first you have a stop in Cape Breton with the Oilers. And that's that's when I was growing up. Like I remember the Cape Breton Oilers and always wanting a jersey. To this day, I still haven't been able to get my hands on one. But what was it like playing out in Cape Breton? It was, I mean, it was great. I was... I was a professional. I, I, I could take out $50 from my account and it didn't really mean much. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, uh, and being a young guy with, a, with a bunch of other young guys living on your own and, and learning how to be a pro. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and, and Sydney, Nova Scotia was, was great. It was, a, it was a good little city. Um, good hockey town the, the rink was packed every night um and i got to play a lot so i uh, i have uh, i have lots of fond memories for sure of sydney so later on in that year and i believe it was the lockout shortened season you actually did get the call up to the big club you played two games uh once against toronto the other in calgary but uh maybe just take me through what it was like that first nhl start throwing on the oilers jersey for the first time well the first start was the calgary game because the the my first game against Toronto, um, <laughs> we were we were the taxi squad because of that that lockout year. So our okay. our, our the, the season started later. Our season had finished, and I um, our our routine was practice and then uh, go all the way down to Millwood's golf course, stop at what's the Carl's Junior, but it was an Arby's back then. Load up on Arby's go smash 18 and come back to the hotel and, and have a nap. And so I was having a nap and my, uh, my phone was ringing and, uh, all of a sudden it was Sparky. He goes, and Sparky said, get over here. Billy's hurt. And so I race over to the rink 
uh, I get into the dressing room. There's, everyone's out there for warm up when I get in there. So I'm racing to get all my, my crap on. I run out to the rink and I fall coming out of the door and I took two shots in warm up because it was over <laughs> and then came back in. And I was just like, uh, I feel like crap. I just woke up. I have a belly full of meat and cheese and bread and, uh, and, uh, Unfortunately, Freddie Brathwaite didn't play that well in the first period, and we were down like 4-1. And so I go, oh, my gosh, is this really happening? And uh, I didn't think I was going in. And then with about uh, a couple minutes left, uh, Ron Lowe said, you're, you're in. And uh, in I go. And uh, we actually we came back. I, I had an assist in my first game and, and uh, stopped a few pucks and got close. But... Uh, Matt Sundin decided to not today, kid. And <laughs> blew a couple between my legs and ended our our playoff run. But uh, fond memories of that game for sure. That might be one of the best debut stories I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, so, just out of curiosity, you're on the taxi squad. Like, would you have gone to the game just before puck drop, or do you just watch the game from the hotel? Yeah, no, we would we would go later. Okay, right? so yeah, we would just you know, I was pr- I was sleeping and we were pro- I was probably going to wake up in the next half hour and just walk over with the guys and but then uh <laughs> yeah so I ended up playing and it was funny because guys started rolling over there and then it, it, they were all telling the story goes where's Gager like <laughs> and then someone said I think he's playing <laughs> so it was just hilarious that is so good so in hindsight I mean if you were being told how to start your first ever NHL game, like, hey, you're getting the start tomorrow, maybe you're going to have a, a night where you don't sleep very well, you're nervous going into it. In this situation, you're just kind of thrown in. I mean, not a bad way to do it. No, and looking back, it would probably help me. Uh, like, cause it was, we were in a playoff run. We needed to win that game to stay, to, to stay in the hunt, I guess. Like, it came down to the last few games, right? Like, one of those things, that mathematical thing. Um, but, I mean, Grant Fury was known to to play some golf before games too. I thought maybe it did work out, but no. If if I knew it was uh, if it was my first game, I probably would have went full uh, COVID nineteen quarantine style and just locked it right down until game time. Yeah, probably not a bad idea. So a couple of days later, you get the start in Calgary in the Saddle Dome. Uh, with the Oilers set to take on the Flames this weekend in a back-to-back game, uh, what was it like taking on the Calgary Flames? I mean, from you, as obviously only your second time playing for the Edmonton Oilers, first career start, could you feel the intensity? Like, did it ratchet up a little bit? It was, I mean, the Flames were in the playoffs, I think, at that point, so I don't even know if they had their full full lineup going. But, I mean, Seal Fleury was playing, and, and I remember him coming in and, and ripping a shot and I stopped it and stopped it again and he and I remember him skating by me and he said hey Gager let me score one you know and I'm like geez this guy knows my name <laughs> you know but not even thinking that I'm, my name is on my back right but um, really cool to, to it's tough to describe but having an Oilers jersey on and then you're playing against the Flames like I know it's kind of Everyone talks about the Battle of Alberta and this stuff, but to actually be in it and and be on the on the ice and and you know 
you look at the other end of it and all these <laughs> like the hate you just hate them all already it's so it's it's a weird and the fans and stuff it was a it, there is really something to it with the with the Battle of Alberta, and I'm 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 really glad I got to be part of one of the greatest rivalries I think in all sports. Oh yeah, I mean I obviously I've never played in it, but growing up, uh, those are the games you wanted to go to. Uh, you'd ask your mom or dad for uh, for your birthday, like I want to go to the Flames game, I want to see that, like that. There's going to be fights in that game. It's going to be the best one of the season. I always wanted to go to those games. So I imagine you know for you getting to play in it would have been pretty outstanding. I want to ask you, obviously, that that was your rookie year in the NHL. Did you have a, a welcome to the NHL moment in practice game, anything like that? Uh, no, not not really, because that that year was was a little bit different. I guess the next year I was uh, I was uh, I was up with the big club a lot more, but um, no real rookie things. We were we weren't the best team in the league. Uh, we had a great captain and Kelly Buckberger. He kind of, he really took care of the young guys. I learned the lesson early is never go for dinner with Bucky because you go to a real expensive restaurant and you'd blow through your per diem pretty quick. And I always wondered, gosh, I don't, I don't, it's weird. How, how come this isn't lasting? I always thought, but it's because when you went with Bucky, he would, he would order like $400 bottles of wine, but <laughs> I didn't, you know, at the end they said, okay, throw in money and you owe this, you owe this. But Bucky didn't even look at the, the type of wine. He just looked at the price. So it was his way of uh, getting really expensive wines <laughs> through all the rookies. So yeah, we learned not to go for, uh, for, uh, on the road for dinner with Bucky after a while. <laughs> that's a that's a veteran move right there. Sounds sounds like something yeah. Bucky would do. Uh, so <laughs> after your second year in the NHL, you spend a little time away. Uh, you play in the East Coast League, the AHL. You have a stint with the Canadian national team in 1999 and the year 2000. But then you get back with the Oilers in the year 2000, 2001. You play five games. That second stint with the Oil. I mean, did you appreciate it just a little bit more? Oh, way more. Like I was. Uh, how do you say it? I was at the penthouse to the outhouse, basically, career-wise. And um, Tom Rennie really revitalized my career that year playing with the Canadian national team. And I learned some lessons that I knew but didn't implement in training and pre- being prepared to play. So, um, yeah, that was, that was a needed year for me. Uh, I didn't think that... Um, I would have uh, I would have been back in the NHL at all, really, because at our exit meetings I was asking Tom Rennie if there was any interest for, with any NHL teams, and he said no. Um, and I was more I wanted to go play World Championships, but he Tom had said, "Look, uh, I need to take two in, uh, two NHL guys. You could be my third guy, but you wouldn't play." He goes, "But um, the Hamilton Bulldogs." are interested in having you uh, come back and they're on a playoff run. And I was like, oh, my gosh, go back to Edmonton. Weird. That would be kind of weird. But at least I would play. And so I decided to come back. We ended up doing well. We got through a couple rounds, and I played well. And uh, the exit name, Scott Housen was the GM at that time. <clears throat> and um, so I had already signed with a team in Germany for the next year. So I was, I was in my mind, I'm gone. I'm I'm on my way to Europe. I've 
I did my best to try to get back to the NHL, but it just didn't work out for me. And so uh, I'm packing up, I'm, I'm garbage bagging all my stuff, I'm ready to leave, and then um, the trainer goes, uh, Joaquin, um, Scott Housen wants to see you. And I go, okay, whatever, what, is, what do you want to see me for? Because <laughs> I'm not under contract or anything. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just I've known Scott, he was the GM of Cape Breton from my first year, right? So I go in and say, hey, Scott, this is great, thanks, it's uh it's kind of nice to be back here and, and, and be part of this and part of this run just because uh, last time I'm leaving and not re-signing with Edmonton, it was a bad season enough. So it was kind of nice to have that type of closure. And he goes, well, Joaquin, thanks for being part of this, blah, 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 whatever. And uh, I'm, I'm a believer. And so we're, we're thinking, you know, get your agent to call us. Uh, we're thinking uh, we're not sure what we're going to do with our goals, but we'd be interested in, and maybe signing you for next year. <laughs> and then I thought he was just full of crap. And I said, yeah, Scott, good one. All right, yeah, whatever. And he was like, no, Joaquin, I'm serious. I go, yeah, yeah, Scott. Thanks, thanks, whatever. I'll, I'll talk to you later. And I just thought he was full of it. And then um, I got back to BC at the end of the year, and then my, uh, my agent phoned me and said, yeah, Edmonton's got an offer for you. So he wasn't lying. <laughs> And uh, it's tough to say no to the NHL. Yeah, you know, I was excited to go to Europe and stuff, but how do you say no when the Edmonton Oilers are calling? Oh, man, I mean, that, yeah, exactly. I, I imagine it would be pretty tough. You actually did go to Europe, play a few years there. Um, and I know, like, Strutty always talks about it. That was probably, he says, the like one of the cooler parts of his career, just going there and experiencing it. For you, now that you've done it all, I mean, is that something you would recommend to a player who, um, you know, just might be... Done with their time in the NHL? Absolutely. It was phenomenal. I mean, you hear Strutty talk about how he dominated, but he did <laughs> play in the second league in, in Sweden, I think. So um, I, I played in the first league and dominated, just to, so we get all that clear, because uh, I'm tired of hearing him, hearing him say that. But yeah, no, Europe's great, man. It's. You're, it's a different lifestyle. You're in a different place. You know, there's. There's days off where you can go and see something that's 400 years old, and it's 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 a lot of fun. And if you can if you can use hockey to get uh, to travel and and uh, look at some different things all over the world, why not? Right? Yeah, I I had the best time, and I played in all those tournaments too: the oldest Vestier, the Baltic Cup, Spengler Cup, Sweden hockey games. All those things, right? So it's a, it's a, it was a fantastic time. Walking Gage joining us here on the Other Connor podcast, and Walking. Uh, just want to ask you quickly because I know uh, you're very up to date on this year's edition of the Edmonton Oilers. Of course, a uh, big win over the uh, Jets on Wednesday evening. When you watch the team this year, I mean, right now currently sitting third in the North Division, is this kind of where you expected them to be? Um, yeah, I th- I think so. Um, some things I thought I didn't see coming and some things that uh, have surprised me, I guess, as you, uh, you could say it. I I think that they'll be in the three to five position going forward. Um, I, I think they, I, I do believe they can come out of the division. Um, I think it's tighter than, and once we get more further along with these games, 
Um, I think it's going to tighten up even more. Um, uh, who knows what's going to happen with Ottawa so much? I, I, I completely messed up there. I thought they would be not winning, but a little bit more competitive, a little bit more feisty. Um, I'm excited. I love this North Division. I'm, I'm solely invested in this. I don't even look to the South, which is, which is bad because I do a hockey podcast and I only focus on the North, but, um, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I love the back-to-back formats of this. Um, those, you know, we saw Pionk and, and Connor go at it that first game against Winnipeg. The refs kind of blew it last night a little bit, in my opinion, because that that game was getting to a point where it was going to get really physical, and then and then everyone was like, well, what's a no one knew what a penalty was after after the first period, so it it completely shut down any other kind of emotion of it but um uh, it's i think it's something the league should definitely look at is having uh some sort of back-to-back games or or teams staying in a in a city and have um, you know having two games in three nights type of thing because it really i think the if you add fans into that scenario as well um you're gonna see uh, an improved brand of hockey throughout the regular season i think I do not disagree with you there, Joaquin. Thank you so much for doing this today. Of course, you're on the Two Guys and a Goalie podcast with Nielsen Cassian and Hernan Salas. You're also working with Freedom 55 Financial. If anyone wants to reach out to you uh, for that, what uh, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Um, on my Facebook business page, uh, I monitor my Twitter as well. Um, there is a Canada Lights Freedom 55 site that if you, if you want to look up my bio and things like that, if you're looking for... Any type of insurance needs, financial uh, planning and strategies, I'm, uh, or you just want to talk about the power play, whatever, <laughs> I'm here. Maybe a little of both. So, Joaquin, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Connor. Take care. That is the Edmonton Oilers' fifth-round pick in 1992, drafted 109th overall from the Portland Winterhawks of the WHL. Joaquin Gage joining us here on the Other Connor Podcast. Big thanks to Joaquin for making some time on the show today. Give him a follow on Twitter as well, at Joaquin Gage 31 That's going to do it for us here on the Other Connor Podcast, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network and DraftKings. Sign up at DraftKings today and use the promo code THPN. New users get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings, minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Coming up next time on the show, it'll be Tuesday morning when it drops. And at that point, we're going to be recapping what happened with the Battle of Alberta. Oilers and Flames, of course, they meet on Friday and Saturday evening. First night is in Calgary, second night in Edmonton. Should be a lot of fun. Hopefully there will be some fireworks that we can talk about. We'll also be setting up the Oilers and Canucks series. Of course, the Oilers in Vancouver on Tuesday, Thursday of next week. So we'll preview that one with somebody out in Vancouver. And, uh, yeah, we'll try to track down some more alumni. Try to keep it fun here on the Other Connor Podcast. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in today. Give me a follow on Twitter, at Connor Halley. Check out my pinned tweet, answer the question, and try to win a free prize. It's pretty simple. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to you next time here on the Other Connor Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.